Welcome to the Thriving Farmer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Kilpatrick. Our mission is to inspire, educate, and celebrate sustainable farming. We believe that you can build a profitable, sustainable farm that gives you true farm freedom. Join us as we talk to farmers, innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs to glean their top takeaways in business and life. Hey, Thriving Farmers, Michael Kilpatrick here with another episode of the Thriving Farmer podcast. And today I have two special guests, Zachary Cortier is a passionate farmer, teacher, and advocate whose experiences obligate him to positively transform our human communities and ecosystem. He's currently land and production supervisor at Lutheran Services in Iowa, where for the past 10 years, he has co-led and developed the Global Greens program into a successful model to incubate beginning new American vegetable farmers through production education, land access, strategic planning decisions, and market access. We also have Furman Natachimazi, who is a translator for the program. He has been involved in the project from inception as a community leader, helping bring the idea to Iowa, and now is an interpreter for the program. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. And I, Thanks, hope, I, yeah, I hope I get your name mostly correct. How did I do? Yeah, almost. Almost. Uh, it sounds like a Japanese is Takimazi. Okay. All right. Mine's like couture, like the fancy French, uh, you know. <laughs> I wasn't quite sure on that one. I was like, eh, and I, sh- I should have asked you too, but I was so worried about Furman's last name that I thought I could just roll with yours. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. We're, you know, we're diverse and, and understanding people. So, you know. Yeah. I really appreciate that. So congratulations on the 10th year anniversary. Um, you know, both of you have been involved in the project since the beginning. Let's talk about the beginning. Like obviously Furman, you know, saw the program, brought it into Iowa, but then, you know, they had to kind of grow, had to get funding, had to develop from there. Yeah. So, so yeah, we're with Lutheran services in Iowa and we do a lot of different um, social work, social programming uh, throughout the state of Iowa from foster care and adoption to services with people with disability. And then uh, we're in the refugee department. Um, and then the Global Greens program is a program in our economic development department of the refugee department. So, and in terms of making the decision uh, to start the program, we used to do resettlement services, um, but then we stopped doing that. And we, uh, Nick Wirtz is the director here. He's been the director since I've been around as well. And so he, Fairman, I don't, you know, maybe you could talk about like what exactly Nick said, you know, we, at that point, we're just, we're like, we're not doing resettlement. What should we do? Yeah, uh, actually, I had the opportunity to meet him this morning too at LSI. And he was talking to me that uh, the government is asking them to restart the resettlement agency by January 2022. So Nikki has been with LSI since I get here. He's the one who came to welcome me at the airport in 2006. And they were doing classes, resettling people. But after that, they had other programs going on since the resettlement was kind of slowing down. Yeah, but now we are happy they, they are going on. They keep now this uh, agricultural project uh, going on. I remember we took a trip to Washington DC with a team from LSI. And during the sessions, we joined 
a class of agricultural activities in the USA. And I said, oh, my people are really good at farming. Mm. Why don't we go back and implement these activities? Since I know most of people who are not working, but they are not educated, so they cannot afford to have a job, but they are good at farming. Mm -hmm. So that's one we started with the small plots until they have to graduate and then have more plots since they are catching up with the seasons, they know what to do because it is really, really totally different from the farming we're doing in Africa. Here okay. it's very different. And what country in Africa? We, we are originally from Burundi, but we fled to Tanzania mm. and we could not survive without farming there. Gotcha. Okay, so then came to the U.S. So let's talk about someone who's coming from the, over there now in Tanzania, coming to the U.S. What things are they struggling with? Obviously, the language. You said they don't have a job, um, so they know the farming aspect. So Zachary, what kinds of what's the training program involve, and what kind of things are you are you trying to teach? Yeah, I mean, so like Fairman said, in terms of like our program, you know it. It just started. We didn't have any tools or anything. I was actually a volunteer at the time. And they said, hey, some people want to start a garden. And I didn't I wasn't even gardening at the time. You know, I I just come from a background of teaching. I was an mm -hmm. ESL teacher at the time, you know, um, and and so going from that to basically just calling up anybody that had land to see where we could dig up, you know, OK, near the communities um, of people, right? So there was an apartment building on the east side of Des Moines yeah. uh, with some people from Bhutan. And I called people, it was somebody from the feed store actually that ended up saying, hey, there's this piece of land behind these houses that nobody uses. The city wow. has to mow it every year. So you can save them money if you put in a garden there, right? As long as the city doesn't get called, you can garden it. And that one's still around. But yeah, so it started with that just as volunteers doing it and then got some local funding from a local United Way chapter here. We got a planning grant from the Iowa State ISU's Extension Leopold Center, okay. um, which is really fantastic when that was still around and, you know, went on trips around the Midwest um, and other places to see what, what types of programs um, and then essentially designed the programming that we did around things that, that people are doing that seem to be successful. So, um, yeah, so people start, it's, it's still pretty similar, you know, people still start in community gardens um, and, and we're still just doing a lot of cold calling. <laughs> yeah. Trying to, trying to find, trying to find pieces of land um, to use. Um, but, you know, through that, then now we've, you know, gotten more funding from um, different beginning farmer grants, um, Office of Refugee Resettlement, places like that to be able to fund more education um, as well, you know, getting machinery um, that, that we can train people on as well. So then from community gardens, people who are interested can, can go out um, to our site at Valley Community Center. Um, it's about eight acres, has about 20 people there. Um, and, you know, we have a John Deere 1025, are so really simple hydrostatic you know tractor like that you can just 
you know, hop on and turn the PT mm-hmm. on and go, which is a really great uh, starter tractor for people to learn on. Um, and it's, you know, you can turn it really well and easily. So, um, and then, you know, um, and we got a BCS um, as well that people can uh, train on. And then from there, you know, we're supporting people with education. Like Fairman said, people are farmers and they're really amazing farmers and hard workers. They just, um, you know, they need to know where to get resources, how to order seeds, um, making crop plans, um, access to market. Um, and really people just need a chance. Um, and so, you know, I, we really focus on those areas that, um, people, you know, cause the, the farmers in global greens grow way better, uh, crops than, uh, any of my other farmer friends in the area. Sorry okay. guys. Um, <laughs> But, you know, uh, it's true. Like they know plants better than anybody I've ever met. Um, and I, I mean, I've learned a whole ton from them. So, yeah, maybe but yeah, I then, can sorry, add so then, something. Yeah, what's it? Yeah. Yeah, I can add that if we check on the background of these communities, like my community, we come to resettle here without any educational background because back in the country, they were segregated. They could not attend schools. They come oh, wow. to school when they were in the refugee camp. That's when they start with the alphabet. So imagine you are an adult, you don't know how to write your name and, and, and you come to this country where everything is English, everything is computerized. Mm. So we, we learn those little skills through LSI when we just get here. And then we struggled by adjusting as the first, the priority was to get the kids registered in the school and uh-huh. then RSI had that policy of finding you a job and you cannot say no to the first job that comes around. So all the people went to work and then the kids in the school and then how to supervise the kids. And then you have to learn English and then you have to learn different places. So that's, those are the little things we struggled with. But I think uh, RSI did a good job to help us through. And mm. now in 10 years, there are still people who are struggling, who cannot drive because they don't know English. We do even have some farmers who cannot get to the farm without a ride. Some are using a bicycle, which is really hard mm. because they don't farm close to the home. But I think they have some kids to support along when they have free time. Okay, wow. Yeah, uh, my, Michael, I've seen a... Yeah, I've seen a farmer, you know, ride their bike a two-hour trip each way, like, just to get out uh, yep. to their garden. Wow. Because uh, it's that important to them, and they yeah. don't have enough to get out there, so. That's amazing. Um, so talk to us, how how many, how big of an area you guys split is the garden um, project spread over? So, I mean, the community gardens, like, it, it depends, you know, different levels of the program, again. So the community gardens yeah. is for home consumption the city gardens are only 10 feet by 15 feet which is nothing but the gardens that we start we we try to convince partners to start gardens that are at least 20 feet by 25 feet because mm-hmm. um, that's like a sufficient amount that people can grow some good vegetables for themselves and then when they come out to the incubator um, we start them off we used to start them off on like a 2500 square foot plot but we're moving more towards 5,000, um, just the amount 
and, and I don't have the numbers like dialed in yet, but I want to make sure that if someone's driving out to the farm, like what is that number where someone can, you know, commute out to the farm, yeah. um, you know, three times a week and be able to make um, a profit off of that land, you know, cause if you don't live yeah. there or you are commuting, you know, if you're looking at a quarter acre garden, then, you know, your net profit at the end of the year is basically all eaten up by the amount of times that you drive out to the farm. Absolutely. So trying, trying to, you know, I guess, you know, maximize how effective it is for people to be commuting and then, you know, placing people in those size gardens. Um, but yeah, at the, at the farm, we have people who are on plots between, um, that 5,000 and then like a quarter acre, or 10, you know, 10,000 square feet. Um, so then from there, people get the experience, they get access, um, to the farmer's market the first year they're out there, which, you know, that's a, a familiar market style for them. Open air, they set up a booth, they display their vegetables, they sell the yeah. second year after, um, people are there, then they get, um, access to the CSA. So we aggregate CSA, um, which is like the, you know, co-program manager, um, of our program, Dan Bowser. Mm -hmm. Um, so then we aggregate a CSA, uh, using, you know, I don't, Farmigo software has been really nice for us, uh, for the customer side. And then, um, but yeah, um, so yeah, and then he's ordering food from the farmers. We just want to make sure that um, the the first year someone's out there, it's it's a high bar to you know start selling into a CSA. There's you know we want to make sure that people understand food safety. Yeah. Um, we do use organic practices, so we want to make sure that you know sometimes community gardens aren't as well regulated, and so we say organic practices, but getting people like hands on the ground education. Um, yeah. for what is and isn't, um, is really hard. People go to the store and you see something says organic on it. It might not actually be organic, might just be marketed as organic. So, yeah. um, you know, getting that first year we give people leeway and then we try to make sure that when they are selling to the CSA that we're actually, you know, for sure delivering that product. Um, but you know, it is, it is a training farm. So again, then as people, you know, get more experience, um, then, you know, we help them create individual goals. Um, another mm -hmm. one of our team members helps them um, get into more of their financial situation as well, uh, create yeah. business plans, do that in conjunction with Practical Farmers of Iowa mm -hmm. Savings yeah. Incentive Program. So as a saving match, people can save $2,400, get $2,400, uh, you know, for free if they complete a business plan which, mm -hmm. you know, 4,800 bucks is, you know, well on their way to purchasing a BCS. Um, yep. And then, you know, our graduate farms, they typically run, I would say around 15 to $20,000 first year investment. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you get a cooler, a BCS and, um, you know, wash station, um, you typically have enough uh, infrastructure to, you know, manage you know, yeah. two to five farm, um, right out of the, right out of the bat. So, and then we have uh, six people at that level. So yeah. about four, 40 acres total that's managed by people in our program. So how many farmers in total do you have in the program? On a given year, 120 to 150 in community gardens, yeah. uh, wow. 20, 
Yeah, it's a lot of people. 20 uh, beginning incubator farmers and then um, six at that graduate. Well, some people are still, it's like a transition, right? So sometimes it makes sense for people to maintain some infrastructure at our shared farm if they if their site doesn't have like a cooler or a wash station, for instance, for example. So then they can continue to rent a little bit of land at the incubator and then continue to get access to the wash station or cooler. Sometimes a transition into like the infrastructure of a farm takes a little bit, you know, I mean, yeah, some people it's, yeah, there's land, you know, sometimes there's land available, but there's nothing out there. And Mm -hmm. so um, we just, there's people at all different levels, really. Now, do you um, maintain shared infrastructure? We you just talked about walking cooler and stuff, but do you also have like a shared list of equipment? Yeah, so farmers have access to um, a shed with community tools. Some are donated, um, some are purchased. Um, they have access to an irrigation system. This year, we just installed individual water meters um, for everybody. Um, mm-hmm because before we were just charging a flat water fee and uh, it didn't really encourage individual responsibility and conservation. Because, you know, we'd be like, we're raising the water price. And everybody said, wait a minute, that guy's using (laughs) way more water than me and I'm using rip tape and, you know. But yeah, so we have water access, we have a shed, um, storage, and then we have two um, eight by eight, uh, cooler rooms um, at different temps uh, that people can store their vegetables in. Um, and they get, I mean, they get full. It's, I mean, it's eight acres. So it's, it's basically on a Saturday when we have our farmer's market at our office yeah. um, that, I mean, that it's packed to the brim uh, with vegetables when we go mm-hmm. to pick them up. So, um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of like a model, you know, it has worked as people graduate to get them in that, you know, that cool bot room, that eight by eight um, plus a BCS, mm-hmm. you know, yep. I don't know how much storage, maybe 1200 to 2000 square feet of storage on top of that for all the supplies and a wash station. Um, so um, at minimal investment, but then, you know, we're now kind of, as we're looking forward, we're running into some serious issues with land tenure as well um <laughs> as as landowners because yeah. a lot of them are non-farming landowners you know close to des moines um they might change their mind or sell their property for a higher value to a developer or something then we're running yep. into you know i guess farmer refugees you know like people yeah. who don't have land, and so we're trying we're we're looking at uh some more creative solutions how to get longer term land access for people mm-hmm. um and I think maybe at that point, you know, we wouldn't even necessarily have to like we're in the refugee department, LSI, but I know a lot of beginning farmers have land access issues. And so I think there's a lot yeah. of there's a lot of people around the country too looking at creative ways for land access mm-hmm. um, to help overcome some of those land access barriers, especially, you know, people rent for years and then like what you know they improve the soil and what do they get out of it they get yeah you know they have to leave and, and then what so yeah, yeah it takes a long time to get that soil improved 
So Furman, what would you say, you know, you've, you're being a, um, a interpreter now, what would you say kind of like the big things that you need to get across to these new farmers is? Yeah, I think I serve as a bridge when uh, uh, these LSI staff want to pass a message or teach something to the farmers. Mm. And is really communication is really very important because we, we run through several issues that we need to, to communicate to them directly. And uh, also it has been so hard to teach them these new techniques or set up goals or business plan because it was so hard to communicate to them without an interpreter. So that's when I intervene and I do this job like Tuesday and Thursday or Saturdays only because I have health issues, but I think I am a very good tool and I'm helping as I can. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so it's the communication aspect of, and just helping them understand kind of what needs to happen. Uh, now, um, Zachary, do you guys have like an SOP manual or like a manual for these beginning farmers as they come on that they can, obviously, if they can't read English, they have to have it either like explained or read to them. But is that something that you've kind of worked to develop, like kind of like the, the basics, the parameters of the, the program? It's not as organized as I like it. Um, but yeah, so- Year one, we have people, they do, um, you know, basic farm orientation, machine orientation, Mm -hmm. um, introduction to organics and uh, introduction to food safety. Um, And then, you know, as people are doing it, then we're providing in-field technical assistance to people as needed. Um, Ideally that first year as well, um, you know, if people are not installing drip tape, they're at least exposed to it. So then mm-hmm. they are learning production uh, methods that they might not be uh, as familiar with. Um, ideally, people are beginning to learn how to set up systems of production. People typically come with their own uh, system, which is more a traditional method. So yeah. we have a lot of, and maybe Fairman could talk about some of the traditional practices that people come with. Um, but yeah, um, you know, people, they, they bring their hoe out to the farm, which is like a Maddox hoe. Mm-hmm. So it's like a shovel on the end of a stick. They use that for everything from land preparation uh, <laughs> to furrowing, cultivation. Um, and I mean, it's a great way to manage a garden. Um, yeah. And I want to be as respectful as possible of, you know, traditional methods of planting mm-hmm. Um, you know, and like I was saying, people are, are doing interplanting. So, you know, I could tell you three or four different ways to do interplanting of corn, bean, and squash. Um, you know, uh, but in terms Uh of scaling up those things and using the hoe to scale up, that's a difficulty and, and finding ways to sort of have hybrid for people to, um, maintain their, their cultural um, identity with farming and some of their traditional methods while also like scaling up to, you know, a full farm size. It's been quite a journey over the last 10 years, I would say. Mm. Yeah, um, to, to add to that, Zach, you remember, that's how we do it in Africa or in Asia. We don't have this machine when we are farming because uh, you are farming in a plot where there is three bananas in it and there is 
uh, fruits in that. So you cannot have a way to the machine. So they mm -hmm. have, they use the hoe to till the land. And uh, when you have a big land, you need to hire 20 to 50 people to work daily, and then you pay them daily. But mm -hmm. they, they can till a big land, believe me. We, we farm on big acres using the hoe. And in our country, we do that when we are singing. It is really fun to see them tilling the land and the singing. It goes yeah. fast. And then we, in our tradition, we don't sow one kind of seed. We have to plant three, five, six seeds. So we don't know which one will be the good one. So we are trying our seeds to see which one we will harvest from. So that, that's why we have to plant several seeds. Even now here, I see them doing that. You have Lenga Lenga in the same plot. You have uh, eggplants in the same plot. You have uh, peas, you have uh, corns. So we're trying to mix all of those. I don't know if it is the small plot they have, but even if you, be, you give them a big land, that's the tradition they have. They will keep doing that. Okay, and that's probably because the quality of the seed uh, you have is not as great. So you're just going to always seed a little bit more, trying to get at least something to come up. Correct? No, even if it is great, they they want to harvest the those that will be harvested earlier. They can go, and then we keep the corn that will harvest okay. in three to four months. Okay, interesting. So they're harvesting like an understory first and then leaving the corn to grow. Uh, yes. Okay. Hey, Thriving Farmers, where are you on your Thriving Farmer journey? So if you go to our website, growingfarmers.com, you can click on the assessment button and that will take you to a form, ask you a few different questions, and that will help you figure out where you are on the five-stage thriving farmer journey. And what that does then is kicks you a customized PDF that gives you resources to know exactly what to focus on next in your business to go to the next level. So go to growingfarmers.com and click on the assessment. So let's move, because we're talking crops a little bit here. Let's move into talking about what are some crops that they have brought over with them or that they prefer, they prefer to grow. The number one I can say is what they call African eggplant. All the people, wherever they are in the States, they're looking for that. So they order, they come to buy. So that's the number one that is giving them money. Mm -hmm. And then the number two would be the vegetables like uh, Lenga Lenga, what they call Sogo. Cabbage, not that much. Onion, not that much. But beans, not the green beans. We, when we sow beans, we harvest the leaves and we sell them by buckets. What? And then we wait until the beans is uh, mature so we can harvest the, the, real, the real green uh, like seeds so we can yes. eat them. Yes. So we harvest two times from the beans. Okay. The leaves first. Now, I'm assuming these are like a pole bean. Yes. No, no people are planting bush beans. So... They'll, you know, we'll just, people will use provider variety and eat the leaves. And then uh, uh -huh. I guess when I started, I was pretty ignorant and I was like, uh, <laughs> damaged, <laughs> damaged the plant and uh, they still get, you know how the deer come through and they eat all yes. the bean leaves. And <laughs> um, yes. It's like, that, um, you know, and, 
And so to go back to what Fairman was saying, Isogo is a uh, Solanum nigrum, black nightshade, garden huckleberry. There's lots of different names for it. Okay. Uh, uh-huh. They eat the greens from that. So, you know, uh, I think wow. typically boil the leaves first. Yep. Um, then you get rid of the water and then you uh, saute it. Um, and then uh, Langa Langa is also known as uh, it's all over the world. Um, and actually, it's like the scourge of the conventional farmers here in Iowa because uh, it's amaranth. Oh, uh, yeah. Amaranth. Okay. Callaloo. Yes. Chicha. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, they have a specific strain that they've cultivated. And even if, if like the wild one comes up, they, they'll just, they'll weed it out because you can tell the difference between them. Um, Fascinating. All right. I'm looking at the African eggplant and, right here. AKA garden egg. So if you're looking in a seed catalog, you could probably find it under garden egg. We okay. just did, we just, we just don't know names for things when we're like, <laughs> oh, this. so we say, well, it's, it's eggplant from Africa. So we're like, oh, okay. no, it's Africa. Yeah. You know, um, and, and, you know, we've added some different types of African eggplant, putting that in quotes, obviously, you know, yep. like there's the, the bitter balls which are those small tiny little green ones and okay uh, that you can just eat eat raw um and uh and yeah so i i i've had a huge education too um trying to tell farmers to not well i uh, foolishly i was like you know you're why are you harvesting the bean leaves and the squash (laughs) i said you americans you don't know what you're doing it said, you can eat that too. It said, Americans don't eat leaves. It said, well, okay, you're right. Like, think about the leaves we eat. We eat lettuce yeah. and kale and spinach. That's it. Yeah. And the farmers are out there, you know, I mean, and they'll sell it by the garbage bag full or like by the, uh-huh. the you know, the leaves people like Fairman said. So thankfully we've been able to, uh, not secure, but we've been able to keep a double up food bucks program going at our farmer's market okay. to where people who have SNAP benefits can, uh, and, and we got the limit increased. I think it's $200 a week. Oh, so yeah. SNAP benefits, they get uh, $200 free every week. Um, so we have people from all over the country coming to our farmer's market to buy mm-hmm. African plants and Langa Langa and Isoko, um, which is great. Um, it's a, it's a great incentive for, you know, low income individuals to being, to buy more vegetables. Um, but yeah, that's, it's been great. I've been schooled though, Michael, that, you know, um, <laughs> I don't know how many times I've felt just like a, an utter fool, you know, like, you know, if, like I try to teach somebody and then they're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Here's why you do it this way. And, and like I said, you know, as, as people have grown their farms, <laughs> a happy medium, I think between, yeah. you know, some of the ways to scale up in, uh, uh-huh. you know, a way to conserve water or to cultivate your field in a more efficient way uh, while still maintaining some of their like cultural crops mm-hmm. and traditions and things like that. So it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Before, before the farming, th- these people from Asia and Africa, were going through store to store to try to find their traditional food and they could not. So mm. now when this farming came out, 
they are, oh, we are lucky. Now we have our own food. We are good. So people are very happy now. They can grow and sell some. And now we are learning also to sell some to the American people too. Uh-huh. So these crops are starting to catch on. Yes. Um, yeah, I'm interested. Like, I've got to try green bean leaves. I'm like, that's very interesting. I, I never knew that. Okay. Yeah, fascinating. And in Callaloo, so when we were in upstate New York farming, um, the Jamaicans would start bringing that to market. So there was H2A, Jamaicans um, would bring that. And I never actually tried it, uh-huh. um, but it was beautiful. I mean, they grew, you know, it was very robust. Um, okay. I was always make fun of them because I was like, I pulled that out of my field. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but they would laugh at me and say, no, I got to try it. So, okay, yeah, we actually out here have a... Um, I like to call it the cucumber flea beetle. And it's basically a flea beetle, which is two or three times the regular black flea beetle. And it looks like a cucumber beetle, but it's, it's a flea beetle and it absolutely loves um, amaranth and pigweed. And it literally decimates that. So anyway, it's been interesting to see that. So I'm wondering if I could actually grow Callaloo out here or else it would get destroyed like the amaranth is out here. So so let's talk about a little wrap up a little bit. You know, the program has been going for 10 years. How, mm-hmm. ha- and you said a little bit about the land access really starting to change. How has agricultural in your area changed in the last 10 years? What do you see like opportunities opening up? Oh man. I, I don't know. I just always feel like local food is really going to catch on. <laughs> okay. Um, and, and I think there, there is more interest. Um, it, I, I guess, you know, I've, I've only been farming basically as long as this program has, uh, lured me into, to farming, uh, myself. Um, and I don't know, I guess I've seen a couple times like with the recession and now with the pandemic, like when, uh, you know, when there's emergency, um, and, you know, a feeling that, that, um, there's scarcity, people really do turn, to their local communities and their local places for food. Um, mm-hmm. and, but then everything gets back to normal and then people forget like the importance of farmers and the importance of, you know, buying local. That's, I guess, a theme that I've seen, um, which, you know, it, it'd be really nice. And I, I appreciate your work, you know, and what you do to, uh, you know, spreading the word, um, uh, and, and you work with a lot of farmers who, you know, I think also struggle with like, how do we spread the word? Like there's so much intrinsic value in, in what we do. And yeah. I think you can see that with like people come from another country and they say, what do you want to do? They say, well, mm-hmm. I want to farm. And then I say, you know, we have all these questions that we ask people like <laughs> evaluations and things like that. Um, yeah. that we ask people and, and help track their progress. And it's like, well, why do you want to farm? They said, well, cause I'm a farmer. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think um, I have seen more, more people become interested. Um, I'd like to see even more. And I would like to see, um, I guess, more um, will from, I guess I'm, I'm not sure who exactly. Um, but I'd like to see more will around, um, you know, really prioritizing farmers who are growing food for their communities um, mm-hmm. and, and growing food using practices that are uh, beneficial to the soil. Yeah, um, yeah. 
you know, and, and there's a lot of money being put into subsidies, um, you know, in Iowa, tons of tons of money. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, it's just it's baffling that like in a state like Iowa that has like 30 some million cultivatable acres that, um, you know, like if if we closed our doors to the outside world, we'd run out of food in two weeks, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. because 90 percent of our food is imported. And um, I really think the key for all of us moving forward to, you know, improve yeah. our ecosystem and our health, and our communities yeah. is local food and to find mm-hmm. ways to access more land for people who are growing uh, food yeah. using certain, you know, using more uh, sustainable practices and, you know, growing food um, for communities. Um, and, and yeah, in community gardens, Michael, we lose, we lose two to three community gardens every year. Um, for different reasons and so you know and farmers lose their land every year and it's just you know you use an abandoned lot or something the city doesn't have a priority our you know some cities do um and i think places out east and out west are a little bit farther ahead of the midwest um in terms of some of those programs that cities are doing to partner to you know maintain green spaces for urban farmers and things like that Mm -hmm. um so that would be fantastic to see more programs like that coming from uh, the top down. Um, there's so yeah. many hurdles as well um, for urban farmers to build infrastructure because it doesn't meet zoning or, you know, you're looking at, yep. at a, a hoop house that has, you know, the same zoning restrictions that they would put on, you know, a commercial building that needs, me, needs to meet ADA requirements. It's just like, just, we're just like putting up a piece of plastic to, to grow some food under it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so some of those things, I really, I really think that um, we need to start looking uh, more holistically at like what solutions can be had. Um, Absolutely. Land for urban farmers um, and, and, and get more land access, you know, um, secure land access for, for people who really want to feed their communities. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and I don't see it yet. So, you know, you say, how do I think things have changed? I don't think a lot has changed, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I, I, yeah, I think I sense some frustration there. And I, and I get that because we just had this uh, global pandemic and um, you've got people who literally freaked out for about a year. Um, yeah. you know, supported these local farmers, which was great because it gave farmers an influx of cash. But the problem is, is after it, it, they, they finished and everyone got vaccinated and people going back to their work, they forgot. And now <laughs> these farmers scaled up. I mean, I see it. I see it with a lot of people. These farmers scaled up and now they don't have a place to sell this food. They thought people were going to be buying. Yeah. Uh, I've talked to multiple farmers who are like, Hey, you know, we had planned for all of this. And, um, you know, now we just got all this extra food. And we warned people, I was like, I, you know, one of the things we were putting the message out there is, Hey guys, you got to be careful because I don't think people are going to, you know, stick. So you have to be really careful on retention and be careful before you really, you know, invest all this money. But, yeah. um, it is, a, it is a thing. And, and so it comes back to us as educators, as us who are, you know, thinking the big picture and trying to say, how do we 
make this stick? How do we keep this? And how do we change local governments? I mean, I've mentioned on the podcast here a couple of times about the challenges we've gone through here. And, uh, you know, I had an email from a listener who was like, you know, you're just complaining about the government and all that. And I'm like, no, I, I'm not just complaining about the government. We're going to do things about it. We're, our, mm-hmm. our goal is not to just say, I don't like what I see. Our goal is to say, how do we think about this holistically and think about as from the top down as like the, we need to govern this. We can't have everyone doing whatever the heck they want, but also yep. from the bottom up of how do we create um, fairness for all types of zoning. I mean, a hoop house, mm-hmm. yes, incredibly different than a commercial building. Um, yep. You know, our 14, our 16 by 24 foot farm stand, they wanted commercial everything, ADA compliant. And literally, I mean, it's a couple hundred square feet um, compared the same as a Walmart. And we were not a Walmart. So how do you do that? And it only comes about by, you know, you're going to have to spend the time. You're going to have to put your time in with the city government, unfortunately, yeah. or government in general. And uh, unfortunately, we only have so much time in our lives. <laughs> so I think yeah. it comes down to time. And uh, yeah, exactly. I don't think I have any good answers. <laughs> <laughs> we don't. At this point, at this point, a lot of it is about movement building and raising yeah. awareness until we can come up with some of these better solutions. You know, um, and I think um, the more people learn about it, the more, uh, I mean, like myself, you know, I was just an English teacher at LSI and they said, oh, these, these guys want to start some farming and gardening, <laughs> whatever, let's like, what do we need to do that? Well, we need a piece of yeah. land like, and we need some tools like, and some yeah. water. Let's start there, you know? And I think a lot of times, like people think a lot of this, it's like, I, I was just talking to somebody randomly and oh, as a volunteer actually helped, they were helping us put compost down in a, in a new community garden we started. And um, they're like, well, how do I do this in my house? I was like, well, did you dig up your yard? Did you plant any? <laughs> no. Okay. Well start with that, like dig mm. up your yard and plant some seeds and then see what grows. Like if you don't spend the time, like if you don't do anything and you don't make any effort, you know, yeah. again, then nothing will happen. In in my line of work, like, uh, you know, I don't know how many times that you think something's going to work out and then it just fails. But part of trying to be like more forward looking is that um, I heard a quote recently. It says, if you're not failing uh, at some of the things that you're trying, you're not trying hard enough. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, just this year, I listen, I've been farming for I farmed for a decade in upstate New York. I mean, we had a large farm with twenty plus employees. We start a brand new farm in Ohio here, and we're making mistakes every single week. Literally this yep. weekend, we messed something up and screwed some mm-hmm. stuff up, and it happens. And so we talked to like, okay, so how do we stop this? I mean, what was what was the failure point? Yeah. Um, so if you're not yeah, if you're not failing, you're probably not trying hard enough. You're not pushing hard enough. Um, but back to your point there, I think it's about movement building and you have an incredible Zachary, what you got and Furman have been doing over the last decade. You have an incredible story to tell of yep. success of bringing people from, you know, uh, immigrating to, uh, you know, the U S from a, a really rough environment and yep. successfully transitioning them to, you know, having jobs and feeding their mm-hmm. communities, which is the most important thing that we do. I mean, we feed people, yep. we feed them amazing food. 
And so, you know, bringing brand new ethnic foods into the area and providing yep. that those jobs and, uh, you know, a food source is so cool. And so I think, you know, what would be really cool is if you could get a, um, you can get someone on staff to, you know, just tell the story. And again, I know it's all about the grant dollars and stuff that you have to raise to fund the program. Cause that yep. was one area we didn't quite get into was, you know, the, the back end of this, but I think that would be amazing to tell the story, get in front of the city council, get in front of your communities and talk about what you're doing, why you're doing it. And mm -hmm. the challenges that you have in the way of making that all happen. Okay. Yeah, we're, we're working on it and there's a lot of cool things happening too. I know Nick is, you know, um, he has more connections with, you know, some of our representatives in the area and city council members, um, yeah. you know, the Des Moines city council did make a food security task force. Unfortunately, um, you know, I know people who quit because it didn't seem like the city was actually interested in change um, and they, they weren't willing to listen to suggestions of what to actually do to improve uh, yeah. food security, like an urban farming point of view. Um, but I think, yeah, um, I guess getting, getting people on the bill um, who actually represent some of these points of view um, would be great. And um, yeah, like, again, there's, you know, we're doing um, some work with Practical Farmers of Iowa um, they're, they've been doing some listening to see how to support, um, you know, farmers of color in Iowa, um, yep. as well as, um, you know, looking at, at maybe some advocacy, advocacy issues that could make that. Um, and, and I mean, honestly, um, a lot of the way I see it, um, is that a lot of, a lot of the problems that farmers in global greens face are the same problems that all beginning farmers face, you know, yep. financial capital uh, and access and um, just, you know, being able to fund infrastructure and things like that. So um, hopefully we can, we can come up with some ways to, you know, really help people through some of those decisions and, you know, have pathways into successful farms but yeah, I mean, hopefully, I, I appreciate you having us on here to tell our story and hopefully we can, you know, inspire people somewhere in their area to go. Because yeah, the first garden we started was just just going out and digging up some, some land with some people. Um, and uh, I guess it turned into something a lot more, um, you know, I, I guess I didn't really get into this to, you know, think that I was some kind of movement, right? We're just like trying to plan so people can eat um mm -hmm. but it turns out it's a, a way bigger issue that does need attention absolutely well thank you both for coming on thanks so much for sharing your time and i know Furman, you're a last minute addition so thanks for being able to make it being flexible and we wish you both the best and if i make it out there i will be sure to look you up and uh, love to see what you guys got going on yeah, thank you so much absolutely thank you Hey, Thriving Farmers, have you checked us out on YouTube lately? We have a bunch of new content there, including a few rants by me. I uh, want to tell you, you don't want to miss them. Um, I actually go rant about you know some of the problems I see in our space and some of the challenges I see farmers uh, facing. So go check that out. We've got instructional videos over there as well. Talk about setting up our new farm here in Ohio and all the steps we're going to do that, as well as just tutorials and tips on best practices for all sorts of things on the farm. So go ahead, check over at Growing Farmers on YouTube and see the new content we put together for you.
there you have it. Another episode in the books. So I'd love if you would hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Those mean everything to us. We love to hear what you're thinking. If you have a podcast guest that you can recommend, please pop on over to the Thriving Farmer podcast website and leave us a review. That's thrivingfarmerpodcast.com.